hopefully we guys would be sitting here and decoding you know the importance the risk the standard operating protocols around wallets and transactions so that's what we'll be doing today so wallets are you know the absolute basic need to know information for anyone wanting to explore web3 anyone it's absolutely important like that so i'm just going to quickly do like a screen share I hope this is visible to everyone, is it? Anshika, you can unmute and please uh, let me know. Hi, Rohan. Hi, is this uh, visible yeah. to you right now? Yes, yes, yes. Good to go. Is this is this like flickering also? Because on my side, it's a little flickering. Yeah, Abhi, uh, that is the, uh, Abhi, I can see. Yes, it is. It's it flickered or... actually, now we, now we are able to see. Again, gotcha. it's gone. Exactly. I mean, it keeps flipping. Yeah. Is it stable now? Yeah, it is. So, guys, like I said, uh, this is going to be a session about wallets. Uh, hopefully, I will be able to you know, give you a few pointers about what to do, how to do it. So, first of all, let's just you know try and decode what your physical wallet actually is. Hopefully, that would help you draw parallels with a digital wallet and maybe that would simplify things for all of us today. So what exactly is your physical wallet? Well, that depends on what the contents of your wallet are. So of course you would cash in your wallet. Uh, you might have multiple, multiple currencies. Uh, in my wallet, I've got some INR, uh, I've got some dirhams, I've got some Nepali rupees as well. Uh, when I go out into the market over here, obviously you know nobody's going to take the Nepali rupees. Maybe if I get lucky, somebody might take a bit of for you know goods and services. Uh, but INR is something because I'm in India, everyone's going to take. Uh, there are going to be a bunch of debit cards. Uh, now these debit cards are essentially payment networks. Uh, you could have a Visa debit card. You could have a Mastercard debit card. Uh, you could have an international debit card from your bank that would allow you to make purchases on a debit card abroad. Uh, that's exactly what I also have in my wallet. Uh, then you have credit cards. Again, credit cards are part of uh, payment network. And just like your debit cards, even credit cards have uh, various networks, like there's a MasterCard, there's American Express, so on and so forth. Of course, my wallet has a MetroCard. It allows me easy access to uh, you know, the trains uh, in the city uh, from any of the transit points. Uh, of course, there's my driver's license there. That's my basic identification. Any place I'm going, if I have the cops, I've got to stop somewhere. If I'm entering a nightclub, they need to check for age. If somebody's going to ask me that, driver's license is what you give them. Out. 
Well, of course, quite a few people have uh, their Tigers Club cards, membership cards, you know, some discount cards if you go into a mall, uh, into a particular store, uh, you get basic discounts if you can prove that you're part of certain clubs. So, you know, community access and rewards, that's the function of these things. And then if you have old receipts and random papers, I'm sorry, you're psychotic. <laughs> because uh, I used to have this phase where, you know, I'd have like chunks of papers uh, in my wallet, which actually didn't serve any purpose. They were old transactions uh, for stuff maybe I bought and I thought I'll return it. So I saved the receipt in my wallet and it's been like a couple of years, it's still there. So these are like your basic contents that make up your wallet. Each of these items, they have various implications. Currencies is a bare instrument for fine settlement. So similarly, that's how your you know, digital wallet also works. Staying over here for another minute. Uh, so if you, when you have all these things in your wallet and, and, and you're going around town, you go to different, um, you know, restaurants and bars and everything. Your wallet basically gives you access. You go to a school, you can pay for education. You go to a hospital, you can pay for healthcare. You go to a movie store, you can hire a DVD. I guess nobody does that anymore. But yeah, essentially you understand, you know, uh, you go anywhere, your wallet is what's giving you access, whether it's food, sports, films, entertainment, anything. This is exactly what a uh, digital wallet would also give you. So moving ahead, uh, when you're talking about digital wallets, uh, you can have a hot wallet or a cold wallet. This is a basic, uh, you know, uh, classification. Uh, a hot wallet, it's got internet connectivity. Obviously it's hot, it's connected to the internet. It's prone to cyber attacks. I mean, if you're online, then um, you know, you might have this published on your websites. I mean, if, if uh, it's a business you're running and it's a business wallet, then of course you have, I have mentions of it on various social media channels on your official website. So a hacker could potentially go to your checkout page and replace your wallet address with this. Uh, that's, 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 that's a clear cut issue. Uh, then these wallets also market reactive. If, if you're holding an exchange wallet uh, and something bad happens, it gets hacked, uh, they run out of liquidity, they might have to freeze your funds and not allow you to take it out. So there you go, you know, it's, it's, it's the market is dictating a few terms. Safety, security, that's something you have to check out. Uh, daily transactions, if you regularly, you know, if, you, if you're buying groceries and other stuff using crypto, then you need to have it in a particular, uh, you know, place where you can easily uh, spend it. Uh, you need to have it in particular uh, denominations, particular currencies, which are readily accepted. Uh, so essentially, the sort of a wallet is suitable for everyday use, people wanting to publish NFTs, to pay for gas fees, uh, if you want to pay off a few friends. In the States, you can pay for films, um, you know, you can pay uh, for movie tickets when you go to AMC theaters uh, using your wallet. So it would be beneficial if you have a hot wallet. Uh, and of course, on the other side of the spectrum, you have cold wallets. Uh, this is something, you know, everyone needs to have in case uh, they're holding quite a bit of crypto. There's a particular threshold if you're above that threshold and the amount of assets you're holding, then it's better to, you know, have self-custody on it. So, 
it's offline uh, because it's offline. There's obviously it's, it's 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 a little bit more secure. But again, then it's prone to old school attacks. Uh, you know, somebody could hit you over the head and run away with your cold wallet, or he could coerce you into giving them the seed phrase. But essentially, what a cold wallet is good for is is to essentially hold for a longer period of time. If you would have bought Bitcoin, say, back in 2015, 2016, congratulations, uh, you're one of the lucky ones. But uh, the best place to hold uh, that amount of crypto would have been a cold one. So it's a little more secure through the years. Uh, I mean, you could you know, have a lot of hot wallets that you could use that might give you the same level of service, but I mean, if the website shuts down, the company goes down under, there are lots of risks. So over a longer period of time, you guys would definitely be better off holding these digital assets in the cold world. Uh, moving a little further from hot and cold, uh, you know, you could get hardware wallets. Now, hardware wallets are devices that individually handle public access and keys. Uh, as you can see with the photographs, they essentially look like pen drives, uh, thumb drives, USB drives. Uh, some of the better ones uh, we have, they have biometric scanners on them. So, you know, your, your thumb and your fingers, you could uh, use them instead of having seed phrases to access your crypto. But then again, uh, these things are prone to old school attacks. Like I said, cold wallets, uh, somebody could hit you over the head and then get your, get your, so I'm sorry, I keep on going back to that, but that's the simplest. So... Yeah, I mean, you know, somebody could coerce you into giving them a thumbprint or they could lift up this data from maybe your phone or various other places. But again, these are very real risks. These things happen. They have happened. If you're holding a substantial amount of crypto, people on the blockchain can see your addresses. Uh, this is something that can happen. It is a possibility and it's happened to people. Before. Uh, moving ahead from hardware wallets, you've got uh, mobile, desktop, laptop wallets. Uh, these are installable software packs available for operating systems. Uh, and these are becoming serious with time. Uh, antivirus is required because a system connected to the internet poses fundamental security risks. Instead of keeping crypto on an exchange, desktop wallets for Bitcoins should be used. They can be used. Uh, also, you know, if, if, if you're a part of various uh, blockchains and, and, and your you know, resources, your computers, your hard, hard drives, your processors, if you've put it on the network as a node uh, for various operations to be executed on your systems, uh, you get rewarded for something like that. So if you're getting rewarded for something like that, most probably those, those wallets, those Gollum tokens, those Bitcoins, those Ethereums that you mine uh, would be on the wallet that you have on that particular station. So these wallets also have great functionality. Uh, they are relatively safer. Uh, but then again, you got to dis you got to take a decision about this yourself. If you're running a company and you've got $500,000, $5 million, $50,000, do you want to keep it in a hot wallet, in a cold wallet? I mean, there are a lot of risk factors. I can't really tell you where to keep it. You need to figure out those kind of risk factors yourself, uh, what kind of insurance you have on what kind of a wallet ecosystem. If you have institutional funds on a trusted exchange like finance, that would be one of the best ways to go, uh, you know, for a lot of corporates and a lot of companies because there's insurance on them. So that's that's a good wallet to have for a company, but it's very difficult to have as well because there are lots of KYC requirements. Uh, 
But if 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 you're an artist, if you're an NFT artist, uh, maybe one of these, you know, uh, hot wallets somewhere on the internet might be a much better way to handle things. That's exactly what I'm going on now. Uh, so web wallets, as the name suggests, these wallets are accessed by internet browsers. Uh, the private keys are held in some web wallet and are prone to DDoS uh, attacks. Uh, they can be hosted or non-hosted. Uh, non-hosted is preferred as funds are always in control. Uh, they are the least secure. They are not the same as hard wallets, but they are perfect. They are ideal for small investments, quick transactions. 99% uh, of the people buying most of these shit coins are doing it on MetaMask, Trust, and so on and so forth. And these are, by the way, one of the most, uh, you know, convenient uh, wallets to keep uh, because they're right there. They're on your browser they're, 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 as an extension. So anytime you go to a website, a Web3 enabled website, uh, you can have, uh, you, you can connect to that website straight from your MetaMask wallet. So it's always, it's always a good idea to have a few hundred dollars, few thousand dollars, depending on how much you can keep on your MetaMask wallets because like I said, or your trust wallet, because like I said, it's easy to, you know, move these things around. So I believe I can see there's some questions over here. Uh, I'll I, I just like to go through the presentation and then maybe come back to these kind of uh, questions if that's okay. Uh, uh, moving ahead. Uh, this is a little old school. You've got paper wallets. Uh, as you can see, this one right here, uh, you can scan this. Uh, you know, these, 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 these things are like essentially prepaid cards. It's a physically printed QR code for, uh, from wallet. Some wallets allow downloading the codes to generate a new address offline. Uh, they're not prone to hacks, but the number of flaws has made them dangerous. A major flaw is not being able to send partial funds. Then Thus, it can't be reused. Uh, besides this, you know, currently uh, in a lot of jurisdictions uh, where government uh, has some severe levels of regulations against crypto, uh, prepaid uh, crypto cards are, you know, sort of really filling in those gaps uh, right now where on-ramping facilities have been an issue. So, now, Initially, this is what we saw. This, these, these were the elements of your physical wallet. And you can see the implications of each one of them. And after all this, we get to, you know, various currencies that you can hold in a wallet and what they actually mean. So if you've got some Bitcoin in, in, in any one of your wallets, that's a fair instrument to find settlement. In, in the crypto world, Bitcoin is the exact opposite for fiat currency. You know, it can be used for finding settlements. It's got many other uses, but uh, it's solely there for you know transactions. Then you've got ETH. ETH is a payment network. If you've got some Ethereum lying around, uh, there's a lot of publishing work that you can do. Uh, you can take it in various places. Uh, essentially, you know, ETH and BNB, uh, these blockchains, uh, payment networks like Visa and Mastercard. Uh, for example, if, if if you're on a Binance exchange and uh, you have a trust wallet, which is again on the Binance smart chain, 
So moving digital assets between these two wallets, uh, the trust wallet is self-custodial wallet, whereas the Binance Exchange obviously is not non, uh, it's not self-custodial, it's, it's obviously with a third party. But since both of them on the Binance Smart Chain, uh, sending assets between these two networks is very efficient. So it doesn't cost you anything. So in case you need to pay somebody, uh, you know, in a different uh, country uh, in BNB, if I send him one BNB, he'll get one BNB. But if I get it, send him an Ethereum from a Binance, uh, you know, exchange wallet to his MetaMask wallet, the gas fees on that is 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 pretty much not going to want you to send the funds. You know, you you probably this. I mean, this is what I would do. I'd probably ask him like, dude. Get yourself a trust wallet. Let me send it to you. Let me send the funds to you over there. It's not going to cost me anything. You'll get, you know, and plus it's more secure and it's faster. So depending on where you want to publish your um, NFTs, uh, they might be for various purposes regarding property, IPRS, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it would make sense to, you know, have the token for the particular blockchain that you're publishing on. Uh, there's some operational efficiencies in doing that. Uh, again, uh, a lot of uh, websites connect with your wallets because wallets have excellent KYC, particularly the exchange wallet. So uh, identification is something that my earlier wallet was giving me because my driver's license was there. But now if I have a Binance account, any trader, any any service that I'm using because they know that I've gone to the Binance account, it's very difficult to get a KYC on these kind of things. So if you've got it, that means you've verified, you know, you're an actual person. So the safety issue is there. The identification is there. They won't get my name, but uh, they'll be rest assured that I'm not like, a, you know, a nasty entity or something. Like that. Similarly, with your digital wallets, you can store NFTs and you can have a body of your club or the new DC bad cows. Uh, these things replace your American Dinos Club cards uh, because this is exactly what community access and rewards is. If I'm a club owner, if I have like, you know, my high end club in Delhi or London or New York, wherever, I could incentivize body of your club owners to come to my venue. Like, like I can give them free entry. Why? Because I know a body of your club day. Uh, cost like hundreds of thousands of dollars. So anyone who owns a BYAC can definitely utilize the kind of services that the club's providing. So if I give him free entry, he comes inside, he spends, you know, a bucket load of money. Uh, this is exactly what community access and rewards are. So with the DC back covers, uh, uh, recently DC Comics, the, the comic book company from the States, these guys issued, I think close to 200,000 back masks like you know computer generated back masks uh as nfts each nft was going to 300 bucks now if i were to buy one of these nfts in the future when dc releases movies uh event tickets new comics uh, merchandise as a holder of the dc back towel i would get preference in you know accessing those services so there was a huge demand for this. People, you know, went nuts. Obviously, the super fans, they would go for something like this. And once other people see how, you know, 
the, the, the kind of rewards that these people get, the value of the NFT that the holding goes up. If they bought it for 300, then maybe, you know, 100,000 people bought it for 300. Now, all of a sudden, a million people want these DC back covers. So, but they know NFT. So whatever you're holding actually goes up. And uh, finally, we get to, you know, old receipts and random papers. You, <laughs> you never need to, you know, have these kind of things because any transaction that you do using crypto is stored on chain. So, I mean, you could just go to the Explorer, wherever your wallet is from. If your wallet's on MetaMask, you can go to ETH Explorer and you can see all the transactions that you've ever done. So in case you, you know, do want to hold on to these kind of things, like you hold on to these papers and receipts, you no longer have to do that because it's already been provided. Uh, so this is something that people ask me, you know, are we late to the party? Like, should we buy some crypto now, this and that? I mean, this is not the way you should be looking at it. Honestly speaking, get a wallet and you're ready. I mean, tomorrow, if for any goods and services that you have, you can start charging in crypto and bam, you, you can store it. And once you can store it, you can spend it. So it's not like you need to invest in it. I mean, you can start accepting it. You know? Somebody along the way is going to give it. So this is one way that I tell a lot of people to enter the ecosystem. You don't necessarily have to go out to exchanges, do KYC, buy all this kind of stuff. Just open a wallet and sell your services, sell your goods, sell your products. That's one of the great ways to do this. Uh, this is an old stats. Uh, this is the main thing. So the number of blockchain wallets has severely gone up. Uh, this was initially a factor of the you know major bull runs that was attracting a lot of people, but now uh, you know the entire community of creators, filmmakers, artists—they all realize that uh, NFTs are not going away. Uh, currently, even though there's a lull in the market, uh, NFTs have gone down. But if you look closely, uh, most of the NFTs that are doing well right now, they actually have use cases. So the back towel NFT that I spoke about earlier, uh, over here, these back towel NFTs, these have a use case. So they're not going away. Unlike, you know, the other ones that are just a series and those visual images and JPEGs and all that. So the number of wallets, it's going to go up. It's going to go up like drastically. And again, this is this is another version of the same graph. You can see the steep curve of this line. And as we would go up, as we go further, this you can expect to go way higher because mind you, a single person can have five, 10 to 15 wallets. So you can see some crazy things happening in this graph, in this particular graph as we head towards 2025 in the next Bitcoin album. Uh, yeah, guys, that's pretty much it. So now let's just have a look at the questions. How do we perform a transaction with a hardware wallet? So, I mean, it depends on uh, what kind of a hardware wallet you have, what kind of a software that you've got with the wallet. Uh, sending and receiving is the basic function that you can do with any wallet. Uh, if you have a Ledger, Nano S, or if you have one of these other ones, Trezor, uh, there are a bunch of them, they're enough 
videos on YouTube, explainer videos from influencers, from the company itself, from third parties, a lot of people on Reddit providing help, but don't trust people on Reddit. So there are lots of sources of information and, and, and I urge you depending on when you're getting the wallet because the, the photographs that you saw were sourced earlier. So these wallets might be two or three years old. So currently, the the you know level and the security provided by the current generation of wallets out in the market is is, is something that you'll actually have to explore before you buy. So what if I keep some cryptocurrency in the wallet and the currency goes down? In that case, we will be lost, right? This is how many I'm going to be holding Bitcoin and. We're at 65,000 or 40,000 or 50,000, and right now it's under 30,000. So, I mean, if you convert it back into fiat, it's a loss. But if you don't convert it into fiat, if you just leave it there, uh, you can choose to spend it, you can choose to do a lot of things with it. But essentially, you won't book that loss unless you put it back to fiat. Uh, I am almost a maximalist. I actually believe in Bitcoin. Uh, I think the price is going to the price actions. I, I feel it might go high, uh, but that's a personal choice that I made. I, I you know, I've studied a lot of other factors. Uh, I feel it might go up, and most of my reactive thinking and you know actions are based on that particular fact. So blockchain analytics is actually a thing. If you go to blockchain.com, uh, the forward slash charts, you can see numerous blockchain.com forward slash charts. You can see a number of uh, you know statistics, uh, and 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 you can go back to all time, four years, five years, two years, three years, whatever, whatever you know, as far as as far as back as you can go, you check these statistics out. So the number of wallets, number of transactions, uh, volume of transactions, all these kind of all these kinds of data sets are available on these particular websites, and again. Uh, you throw in these keywords in Google and, you know, four or five other sites might show up. They might be getting the data from the same source, but essentially it's very easy to check these. Uh, you mentioned wallet-to-wallet -wallet transfer and gave example that if you send Binance wallet to another Binance wallet, there's no fees and the transaction achieved. Does that mean there are no actual blockchain transactions and it's just a record update and, uh, central database. Ultimately, all transactions, whether they're banking, whether they're into wallet, is updating a database. So, uh, yeah, man, uh, it's, 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 if it's on the same network, uh, obviously it's much easier to settle than as opposed to if it leaves the network. If it's leaving the network, then there are lots of other, other things that you have to concern yourself with, like conversion fee into a different asset. So bank, that's, that's where you lose your first amount. Uh, then energy requirements, uh, jurisdictions, regulations, uh, lots of other things that you've got to also look at. So essentially to keep things simple, I mean, if you, if you send from the same blockchain to the same blockchain, uh, various digital assets, uh, that's the best way to go about it. I mean, if, if, if you're sitting Somewhere in South Africa, uh, you've got kids, they're, they're studying abroad, they're studying in a different country. Uh, it's essential that you guys are on the same, you know, blockchain. You're both on Binance, you're both on Tron. Uh, 
I'd love to say Ethereum, but <laughs> the cash fees on that network is pretty high. It's almost like, you know, I, I was reading the other day, it's 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 like Ethereum's meant just for, you know, as a luxury item now. But getting back, yeah, it, it'll be better that, you know, if, if you people are on the same blockchain, same sort of wallet. So at least if you're if you're sharing the native token, if, if you're on the Binance blockchain uh, and he's got a trust wallet, you've got a trust wallet and you're sending BNB or BUSD or any of the BEP20 tokens, you're not paying fees. But if you if you're sending any of the ERC seventy one, ERC twenty, any of the Ethereum tokens like a Shiba Inu or ETH itself or Dozil on Mars or any of these coins between a trust to trust, you will lose a substantial amount. But if you send it the same amount of Shiba Inu from a MetaMask to a MetaMask compared to a trust to a trust, you lose less in the Binance one compared to the Ethereum. So this is something that you know people need to understand uh, if they keep uh, assets on. Uh, MetaMask, that's on Ethereum, so the gas fees is high irrespective of whatever assets you're moving there compared to a Binance chain or a Tron chain or Stellar or any one of these. So, yeah. So this is an interesting question. What is the role of software engineers in blockchain? Is it providing the security or designing the wallet? I need to select an elective. So, I mean, buddy, you've got to do some research on this and, and hopefully that's going to help you out. But uh, I mean, it depends where you want to apply yourself, what, what you've learned, what, what coding languages. Uh, I'm, I'm not actually from the development side. I'm more on the transactional execution site so I, I do understand a lot of the devs uh you know terminologies what they're trying to do but but essentially something like this i don't think so i can give you the answer <laughs> uh i think that's the end of it guys um, i'm i'm going to introduce uh my dear colleague anshika she's a subject matter expert for blockchains that we have on board uh, she's gonna start off with a session now. Just give me a sec. Thank you, Rohan, for this deep session. And hello, everyone. I've just made you the host, Anshika. All right. Thank you, Rohan. Let me share my screen. Yes. So, is it visible? Yes. All right. So, okay. So as Rohan has already illustrated a lot about uh, wallets, let's talk something related to transactions now. So basically when we talk about transactions in, uh, in blockchain technology, it's a huge topic, but we'll try to cover most of the aspects, important aspects in terms of Bitcoin and Ethereum when it comes to blockchain. So before we talk about blockchain technology, let's talk about what exactly is transaction in layman language. So basically a transaction is a completed agreement uh, between a buyer and a seller to exchange goods, services, or financial assets in return for money. So now coming to blockchain technology, it is argued that blockchain will disrupt the way we write uh, we write our con we write contracts and execute transactions and everything 
because blockchain is claiming to be one of the greatest technology that will change the entire world so basically uh, now when we talk about the transactions so keeping record of transactions is a core function for all the businesses currently transactions can be executed immediately but settlement can take anywhere from several hours to several days as we all know transactions have become very common in today's world but when it comes to uh, when it comes to immediately transferring of the things yes in the traditional thing in the when it comes to traditional matters yes obviously it is taking a several hours and even several days depending upon the location basically at what time you are sending and at what location you want to send your transactions to so uh, but when it comes to blockchain on the blockchain the trans the process of transaction verification and recording is immediate and permanent so basically the major difference between the general transactions and the blockchain transactions are in terms of uh, are in terms of the speed so basically when transactions are written when transactions are executed on blockchain network they are immediate and they are permanent the ledger is distributed across several nodes meaning data is replicated and stored across various computers across the system when a transaction is recorded in the blockchain details of the transaction every detail of the transaction basically such as asset price ownership addresses all are verified recorded verified and settled within seconds across all nodes just just wait so sorry guys i actually forgot to on my camera so basically when we talk about the transactions if we talk about for example two parties want to one party wants for example anyone wants to buy a car so when they are doing so they are involved in some type of matlab they have they they are involved in some type of agreements there are so many paperwork and everything is there and they are accountable for so many things that they they are responsible for but when things comes to blockchain transactions everything is recorded verified and settled within seconds across all the nodes a verified change registered on one ledger is also simultaneously simultaneously registered on all the copies since each transaction is blockchain is transparently and permanently uh, across all the ledgers there is no need for third party verification and this is one of the major reasons why blockchain transactions are becoming very popular this is because th there are no third party agreements there are no third parties dependencies and verification process involved as compared to traditional transactions so now coming to this particular blockchain transaction life cycle that we have now let's dive deeper and understand how blockchain basically transaction cycle works so basically let's understand how a transaction gets into a blockchain which is one of the most crucial thing before we understand blockchain transactions in detail so basically initially someone as we can see in the diagram here initially someone request a transaction via something obviously called a wallet digital wallet so now after this transaction is sent or we can say it is broadcasted to all the participating computers in the specific blockchain network this is the second step after someone request a transaction 
that particular transaction is broadcasted to all as you can see there are small boxes so these basically small boxes represents nothing but the computer nodes you can see now once a transaction is broadcasted to all the computers now every computer in the network that are involved checks for that particular transaction or we can say in blockchain language basically we check we, uh, the transaction is validated by all the by all the participating parties now once the transaction is validated the transactions are combined to form a data block in blockchain everything takes place you can say in the form of a block itself so if miners when miners verify the transaction and if it is verified the transaction is combined to form a data block now in the next step this block basically becomes the part of the blockchain that was already existing so now the just one we have shown it with the help of this particular thing black one that that indicates that the that transaction that was being verified by a transaction is added to the blockchain now and it becomes the part of the existing blockchain so here basically you can see a lock here so basically this is not any physical lock because we are dealing with the blockchain so this block is basically uh, you can say a cryptographic algorithms uh, and hash hash algorithms that are involved in blockchain for uh, securing the keys and securing the transaction values finally when this block is added to the existing blockchain the transaction is said to be complete so we can say that in this way this is basically where we have just tried to summarize this a long process in a very layman language so that everyone can understand basically how blockchain works so uh, this is the way how things work in blockchain so but when it comes to blockchain there are basically two type of transaction models in blockchain transactions are basically uh, basically the transactions in blockchain takes place by two physical two models and those are utxo model and account based model so in blockchain transactions are broadcasted to the network as we already told and a set of these interactions are recorded permanently with each new block but here the question arises why do we have two type of transaction models is there any theory behind this why we need two transactions model is one transaction model not enough to satisfy uh, the needs of transactions that are taking place in blockchain so what happens is that when the system transactions to a new state for example say the initial stage is n and then it is and some transaction takes place so obviously the transaction value changes to something for example initially it is n and when transaction takes place the value automatically switches to for example say n plus 1 so what happens is when the system transitions to a new state for example n plus 1 the balances of the transacting parties are updated obviously if i am sending you 50 dollar 50 dollars then my 50 dollar will be reduced and you will get 50 dollars right so in this way basically the transaction takes place so but the way in which the in the way in which the transaction parties transactions are updated depends upon the transaction models transaction will occur in any way that will happen but the way in which the states are updated the database is maintained it's all about that factor so for that we have basically two transaction models are taking place in blockchain and those are two types record keeping transactions one is utxo that is unspent transaction output and the which is employed by obviously by one of the most known cryptocurrency ever and that is bitcoin 
and the second one is done by ethereum which is account or balance model so uh, let's dive deeper and explain how these two type of models basically work, works when it comes to bitcoin and ethereum so basically this is uh, this is the most easier diagram that i could find to understand to make to make everyone understand like how these two models can be represented in this manner so basically the first if i talk about these two things the first notable distinction between the two model is the way their system state is being up is being recorded as we already mentioned so the utxo model records asset movement as a directed acyclic graph as we can say so basically where are so basically we have utxo 0 then we have utxo 1 2 3 it is further divided so basically this is a directed graph of assets of utxos moving between the various nodes so this is basically the representation to show how utxo model looks like if we talk about the bitcoin transactions various other cryptocurrencies are also deploying this model but we are basically foc focusing here on uh, bitcoin because it is one of the most known cryptocurrency and people are curious about it so when we say graphs basically a graph can be defined as a set of nodes that are connected by edges as you can see in the diagram itself in the case of a directed graph each edge has a direction shown with the arrows here dags don't allow circular relationship between nodes so yes on the left hand side we have utxo model that represents a dag representation of utxos and here we have account model on the right so in this manner uh, on the right hand side we have account based model in this the system state is updated with each new block on the basis of transactions that are contained in the block so as long as the number of users or smart contracts remain constant the number of accounts remain constant and independent of the number of completed transactions so basically uh, this matlab um, if anyone ask me which is the simpler model obviously i'll say it is account model because you don't have to keep track of everything like from where this account from where this amount is coming because you have to backtrack and see what are the other sources that are accounting to this particular utxo but when it come to account model it is simple here we have state we have we have mentioned the states the states will keep on increasing the, the list of accounts that are involved will keep on increasing and here it will mention the transaction value so it is simple but uh, with the help of diagram it may seem much easier but it is not actually so let's deep dive and explain each model in detail to have a better understanding of uh, how these models take place so utxos uh, let's talk about utxo model first so basically utxos are like cash in most layman language we can say that utxo resembles just like cash it means each utxo can be compared to a bill or a coin for instance if you have dollar 50 in cash there are number of different combinations you might have you can have 10 5 dollar bills you can have 5 10 bills you can have a single 50 dollar bills and there are multiple uh, options but the multiple combinations are available for the same 
so in each of these cases despite having a different number of bills you will always have exactly dollar 50 with yourself now utxo behave in the same manner when you see a single balance in your crypto wallet this may actually be made up of any number of utxos based on your past transaction history so basically uh, when it comes to utxo bitcoin follows the same same transaction model so it is most the most uh, easy way to get through this is to compare it with a cash and we say that utxo model resembles a lot with the cash so one thing more that resembles utxo with another thing is that as we already mentioned these this points the other similarity between utxo and cash is that it is as utxos as cash is that utxo cannot be divided so let's take an example of buying a cup of coffee which costs like dollar 3.75 now if you have 5 dollar 10 bills you must overpay by handling over dollar 10 and receive charge in this case 6.25 because if your coffee is of 3.75 and you have 10 dollar of bill 10 dollar with you obviously you don't have option to divide it right just we as we deal with cash so what you have to do is you just have to hand over your entire money and you have to wait for the charger to give that money to you right in this manner how we deal with the cash so uh you so basically what basically uh, what will happen here is in the utxo model it works in the same manner you have to entirely give your utxo amount to the person and then receive change just like you would be doing when you are dealing with the cash now here it is important to note of course this process is handled by the blockchain protocol it is not that because see if i am sending you 50 dollar and i want Five dollar in return. So obviously, this takes place manually when we are dealing with two parties. But when it comes to blockchain transactions, the char uh, the returning process is governed by blockchain. So that is, and this is the reason why blockchain transactions, even UTXO model, is completely secure, because every protocol, everything is totally governed by blockchain itself, and there is no third party involved. and this is the reason people and this is the reason why the sender is getting the money back because blockchain is involved in it so as such when you made this transfer the recipient would receive 3.75 btc and the remaining 6.25 in change would be sent back to your address as a new smaller utxo say any utxo here depending upon from where you are transacting basically so uh, we have seen that utxo model behaves much like a cash because you cannot tear a note and say yes i am passing this value you cannot divide your money but what are the ways in which utxo differs from cash so while utxos as cash analogy is helpful for understanding the basic concept there are few uh, few places in which this breaks down so first transaction conducted on a blockchain also require the payment of transaction fees which are deducted from the amount of change you get in return unlike when paying is cash paying in cash so basically yes 
when you are expecting five dollar if you are sending five dollar and you are expecting one dollar so see i'll send five dollar and someone will give me one dollar there is no transaction fee involved when we deal with cash but yes when you when we when transactions are written on blockchain there is a transaction fee involved with each single transaction taking place and secondly this is one of the difference that makes utxo model uh, similar uh, differentiating with the cash and the second is fiat uh, fiat bills and coins are fixed in value you cannot get dollar 6.25 as an example as a change when you pay for your coffee conversely utxos come in any amount so yes it it is similar but we cannot say it is it is uh, it is same it is similar it is not same actually so basically this is a straight transition in the utxo model in utxo so um, this diagram may look tough but it is not so basically uh, what we have done is here we have a utxo set across block so here we have 1.5 btc as satoshi's address here we have 10 btc as alice address and we here we have 1 btc as bob's address here u u u you can see uh, denotes the unspent money which is basically what utxo stands for so here is a general example where we will try to explain how this transition will take place in blockchain so see left hand side is your input so let's say it is a state n now for example let's suppose alice wants to send 8 btc to bob now since it is a utxo model there will be two outputs generated for the same thing now the question arises why two outputs so basically the uh, answer is uh, one utxo is for bob's address because he uh, is for alice who is sending 8 btc to bob and the second output is for the alice address because he will receive 2 dollars right here uh, the in simple words you can say alice is sending 8 btc to bob so alice one is for the alice and the other output is for the bob so but here comes the question like uh, it it is 1.999 you can see so where is the 0.001 amount gone because i see alice should get in return 2 dollars because he is spending 10 he is sending 10 he is sending 8 so where are the 2 dollars so yes he is getting 1.999 btc and the answer for this is because the some amount of fees has been spent as a transaction fees as we already mentioned so when we deal with utxo there are all, there are two outputs generated one is 8 btc to bob and the second is the return value that alice is expecting from bob right so this is the way how transaction is taking place so we, here you can see the updated transactions as well this will remain as it is but yes uh, here the transactions are updated and we have 8 btc in bob's address and 1.999 btc in alice's address so this is the way how straight transactions takes place in utxo model uh so um i i can see so many questions so yes let me finish everything like then we will get back to your questions as well 
So this was about the UTXO model and now coming to account based model. This is a very chill model and I basically like this model. And this is the reason because it is it is as simple as you can imagine. It is this model represents assets as balances within account, just like bank accounts. Now, since everyone present here are totally aware of how bank accounts, how banking financial transactions are taking place. So this model works just like that. Ethereum blockchain is the perfect example for this type of transaction model. Let's say, for example, you have an account with five ETH, that is five ethers, and you want to send someone 2.5 ethers. So you must carry out a transaction that transfers that exact amount, after which you will see in your account that you have 2.5 ethers. And this is the way basically how we deal with the bank accounts. Unlike UTXO model, you don't have to spend five ethers and receive the difference. Hope now UTXO model will make more sense to you because we have already gained a lot about account-based model. Just like banking transactions, account-based model works just like same. There is no difference involved. If you want to send $10, just straight away send $10. You don't have to break your amount in some ways. If you have $7 and you just want to send $3, just send $3. There are no transactions and dividends required just like UTXOs. So here we have trans uh, straight transitions in the account model as well. So uh, similarly, let's see. So basically why I try to convert everything in a diagram is because diagrams are basically more easier to grab. And uh, this way we can get the more clarity how transactions are taking place in Bitcoin as well as in uh, Ethereum. So here, let's see, let's take the same example to distinguish, to make a better understanding of how to models distinguish. So basically let's consider we have, Alice wants to send eight BTC to Bob now. So unlike UDXO, we don't have two outputs here. It is as simple as that. So basically now we have, uh, before we jump before we do this, let's say Alice account has 10 BTC, Bob account has already has one BTC and contract account has three BTC. Now Alice wishes to send eight BTC to Bob. Now what will happen is from Alice address, eight BTC will be sent to Bob's address. Uh, so now, Alice's address will be 2 BTC. Bob's address will be 9 BTC. Why 9? Because Bob already had 1 BTC in his account, right? So here the values are incrementing simultaneously. So if Bob always sends Bob, all right, thank you. So basically, Alice is sending when Alice wants to send a, when Alice wants to send eight BTC. So what he will do is before breaking anything, he'll just send eight BTC to Bob, and Bob's account will get incremented simultaneously. So here he's getting nine, and it is just because Bob's Bob's account already has one BTC with him. So this is the manner in which straight transition account straight transitions in the account model takes place. And this is the way how straight transitions in UTXO model takes place. So we won't uh, go much 
in the transactions just because uh, it is a very, I already mentioned, I tried to include all the important things here. So here you can also, in the explorer.btc.com, you can have a look how transactions basically takes place. So this is a way, um, whenever you have time, you can explore how transactions are taking place. So this is basically a transaction. Here I have randomly uh, chosen anything. Here is a transaction hash. And here we will get the entire summary of everything. Here it, is, it has one input and we have got two outputs. So basically this is how Bitcoin uh, transactions deal with. Similarly, you can have a look at the transactions that how Ethereum transactions takes place. So you can see a lot of uh, <laughs> queries now because I was busy in taking sessions, so it was missed. Mm, all right. If in case something is uh, unexplained, uh, sure you can, um, we can get back to you in detail because time is running out as I can see. So basically, yes, I can see so many comments that uh, says, yes, I'm correct. <laughs> However, it differs from blockchain to blockchain, yes. So basically, one of the questions that I basically face is also in terms of transaction fees. So yes, when it comes to Bitcoin, transaction fees is different. When it comes to Ethereum, transaction fees is different. And sometimes uh, if you have heard the transaction fees in Ethereum earlier, it was very high. So one of the reasons for high transaction fees is basically depends upon the network usage. Since everyone is now uh, moving to Ethereum because it is because of its so many advantages, yes. Whenever the network is more busy, obviously transaction fees will be more. So yes, there are so many reasons for this. And I just want to add to this point, uh, this gas fee is not a bad thing. Ah, exactly. Sometimes it can cost you to make a transaction, but it's not a bad thing. Like what happens in Solana is because, you know, micro transactions is cheaper. So people are able to, you know, bid on their own NFTs and, you know, do wash trading and lots of other nasty things. But if gas fees is high, then you don't do these kind of transactions. So there is a good side to these fees being high as well. Right. Transaction fees are obviously never a bad idea. It is it is interesting. And since so many things are blockchain providing, so obviously it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. There was a great talk from Michael Saylor, I remember, where he was talking about, uh, you know, law of conservation of energy. It does not apply in cyberspace. But this gas fees is literally getting that law of conservation of energy into cyberspace. So I can Where... see a comment from someone, Roman, saying that they don't agree and it has to improvise. Obviously, we are not saying that, yes, transaction fees makes, uh, they are very valid. No, we just want to, we are just mentioning that whenever, see, whenever a transaction is taking place, it will take some amount of money from yourself. But yes, it has to be improvised. And that is the reason Ethereum has already make, made a huge transaction. Because earlier, if we talk about two, two years earlier data, transaction fees in Ethereum was very high. Now it is becoming less. 
so it it is it all about it depends all upon the uh, it all depends upon the improvements that are taking place see the, as far as yeah these improvements go to at any point in time you know improving is definitely something there is always space for but uh, to you know exactly get into this uh, like if you've got artworks on on open seas and you know uh, you're trying to bid on your own artwork using ethereum yeah that's going to be a costly costly affair for you you're not going to be able to do that and pump up your uh, assets but if it's on solana i can have 100 different accounts bidding <laughs> and you know making these transactions and, and to an external person it might be looking like this guy is selling a lot of artworks because you know so many people are buying it but right. the fact of the matter is i'm buying it for myself so ethereum that gas fees is you know disinvent disincentivizing me from doing something like that this is where i feel uh, gas fees is a great concept if if you're making a 10 million dollar transaction yeah. and you know you want to get it instantly instantly done you say fine okay fine i'm giving 500 as my gas fees and instantly one of these guys will pick yeah. it up and execute your transaction so if your transactions worth more to you you can get it done quickly but you know if i'm making transaction like Twenty dollars, thirty dollars. I'll put like a cheap gas fee and leave it. Maybe it executes in two days or three days. It doesn't matter to me. So there are good sides and bad sides of literally all of this. But essentially, I'd want you guys to understand that you know, this, the network fees is it's not a bad thing. Yeah, actually, since transaction itself it makes is so long, so I thought to put the main things in in the PPT unless yeah, yeah. it is so. Essentially, wide it makes you think about you know a couple of things yeah. and that. law of conservation of energy is something that needs to be applied to this 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 Definitely. virtual space as well right 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 completely agree to hope everyone enjoyed the session <laughs> if any query is unanswered maybe because we have left some something or some matlab if you if if any queries are left unanswered please please feel reach out to us We will be there. Yes, we have we have a LinkedIn, we have a Discord. You guys can yes. connect with us literally anywhere. Drop yeah. a comment, and me, Anshika, host of other people from organization, they're there. They can answer your queries. It's not a problem. Definitely. Anyways, guys, thanks a lot. Have a wonderful rest of Sunday, uh, and hopefully, we'll catch you again at the end of. next month this is this is a series that we've started and hopefully every month we'll pick out some interesting topics and you know have conversations yes. around them definitely thank you guys okay. i'm going to be logging okay thank you